Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. That God loves them as well. Today is a great day to be in God's house, and I'm so glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Genesis chapter 12. I have been waiting to preach this message since May. I've been looking forward to starting this series. I was in an antique shop, I think it was in Georgia, that Brianne and I, whenever we visit the southeast, We'll go into the little flea markets or antique shops. A lot of times they'll have consignment places. And I thought, man, this would be such a fun message to preach through or series to determine how do we know God's will for our life. You know that God has a plan for your life, don't you? You know that God values you. God feels that you are important. You could say it this way, God loves you. And since God loves you, and since God cares for you, he has a plan for your life. He has desires that he wants for you to accomplish, similar to the way you look at your children, and you say, oh, I want them to do this, and I want them to be here, and I want them to accomplish these things. God has a plan for your life, and he has a plan for my life. And when we can live in the plan or the will of God, we see his blessings, And what's beautiful is that God doesn't just leave us to wonder or try to cipher some code, some Indiana Jones adventure where we maybe we're there or maybe we don't. God has clearly laid out for us signs and signals on how we can accomplish his purposes and know his will for our life. In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible introduces us to a man by the name of Abram. We will later call him Abraham. Him and his wife will become the the leaders or the family of origin for God's chosen people, the Israelites. If you've ever read this Bible, this book, you'll understand that from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, every single page touches the story of Abraham. It's derived from him. Oh, of course, Abraham's life is a reflection of the goodness and grace of God. But to understand Abraham's life and to understand his story gives you understanding of the entire Bible. In fact, at the end of the book of Revelation, we're still talking about Abraham and the promises made to his descendants. You could read Habakkuk. You could go through the Psalms. You could read the Gospels and the stories of the life of Jesus. But it was Abraham's life that all of those stories are derived out of and how God worked in Abraham's life. So it's important for us to know how God worked in his life. Wouldn't you agree? It's important for us to understand what God did with his life because God loved Abraham. God had a plan for Abraham, and he shows him that plan in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1. The Bible says this. If you're with me, say yes. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And I'll make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee. Wouldn't you like that to be the case in your life? 
If somebody blesses you, God blesses them. Someone curses you, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Taking this scripture, we're going to see how God desires to work in our lives. And as we look at the life of Abraham and the promise made to Abraham about being a nation and being a family and affecting the entire world, maybe God wants to use our lives for his glory in this generation. If that's the case, we must learn the signs and signals of his will. That's the goal today. Father, I pray in the next few moments you would help me to communicate to these, your people, truths from your words so that we can affect our generation and generations to come with the goodness of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Signs and signals from God are given to us all throughout Scripture, and we're going to look at Abraham's life as a way to understand how we can apply those same truths. Now, Abraham starts in point number one. We're going to look at traditions and stories, and in order to understand Abraham, you have to go back to Noah's flood. If you've read the book of Genesis, you understand that God made all things. We are not a process of evolution or a big bang or an accident. You are made with purpose. God knows you. God cares for you. God made you. Whether you're a teenager who plays softball or you're a senior citizen who watches The Price is Right, God made you. And with that making, with that knowledge of who God is in your life, he desires to have a plan or a purpose in your life. But God created man, but man sinned. And in man's sin, the Bible tells us that their thoughts had become only evil continually. The entire world was a wreck. You think today is bad? You go back to about 2000 BC, horrible. It, what we see today is nothing compared to how bad it was. Getting close, maybe? But it's nothing compared to what it was back then. God said the thoughts of their minds are only evil continually. I'm going to destroy the world, save Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives, and every living thing that breathed would be upon that ark. And God saved the world through Noah's flood. Now, Noah would have a son whose name is Shem. And Shem would have a son, and his son would have a son, and there would be 10 descendants from Noah all the way into the time of Abram. Abraham is Noah's great-grandson times 10, okay, to a factor of 10. Now, that might not be exactly accurate with my mathematical skills, but there was 10 great-grandpas before we get to Abraham from Noah. Now, you say, well, they must have been friends. Not really. Sometimes we think of Bible terms and we think of all these old guys with beards as hanging out, like Elijah and Noah, like, hey, let's have a bull of hummus together. But they, they never hung out. Elijah and Moses never hung out with each other. There were hundreds of years separated. As a way of understanding, there was 400 years. Think about what was going on 400 years ago. The year was 1623. Do you remember all the great things that were going on? There was a fire in Plymouth Colony... <laughs> None of you seem to be affected by that at all, all right? So this, is four, this, this year, 400 years ago, there was a big fire in Plymouth Colony, almost wiped everybody out. Now, are we affected by that? 100%. If you're an American, you were affected by that event 400 years ago. Do you think about it on a day-by-day -day basis? Probably not. Unless you Googled it like I did, you had no clue what was going on in 1623. That's the time frame between Noah and Abram. 
So God chooses Noah for some, God chooses Abraham for some reason, not because him and Noah were best pals. There's 400 years difference between the two of them. When we're introduced to Noah, excuse me, to Abraham, we find out that not only about Noah's flood, but we see that there is no fruit in his life. In verse number uh, in verse number 29, the Bible tells us that Abraham and Nahor took them wives, and Abraham's wife's name was Sarai. We find out later, in verse number 26, the Bible says, And uh, Terah lived 75 years, and they got Abram and Nahor and Haran. We find out about this guy named Abraham that when we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 12, he is 75 years old. Now, I'm 45 years old. And we're kind of done with the little kid stage with life. We're looking, Brianna yesterday was talking to me about our grandbabies. I'm like, slow your roll, girl. It's like, it won't be so cute when the grandbabies come over and we do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, oh, I'm 45. I could be a grandfather within the next few years. That's crazy living, right? Abraham's 75. And he's 75 years old and Though he has a loving marriage, him and Sarai, the word Sarai means princess. They look, he looks at her, and every time he calls her name, he's saying, you're my princess. They have a wonderful, loving marriage, but there's been no children. And that great heritage that was passed down from Noah to Shem, to descendant, to descendant, to Terah and Nahor, has now landed upon Abraham, and Abraham is going to be the last of his line. It's kind of a sad place for him. He's 75 years old, been married for, we don't know exactly how long, but we could imagine for decades, and there's been no children produced from this marriage, and it's as if this great line all the way from Shem is about to end with Abraham. My nephew's name is Jonathan. He's 20 years old, and he's studying, he wants to be an officer in the army. He's studying at Liberty University back east. Jonathan's first 10 years of his life, he was the only Tice male descendant. My parents had five children. There's me and my three sisters and my brother. My brother had a son. He's 20 years old. His name is Jonathan. And for years, Jonathan, anything happened to Jonathan, like, oh, that's, that's the last of the Tices. It's the last of the Tices. We would say things like to him, when, well, when you get married, and poor kids, like eight, nine, I'm not getting married. You have to, Jonathan. You have to, you're, you have to keep the Tice name going. About 10 years ago, when we found out that we were having a little boy, when Brianna and I found out we were having a little boy, we went to Blue Diamond and Las Vegas Boulevard. There's a pizza shop there. And we were sitting together as a family. And uh, my brother said, you found out, is it a boy or a girl? And everyone kind of paused. All of my nephews and nieces paused, and my sister-in-law. And they leaned in. We found out it's going to be a boy. And everyone said, oh, yeah. And Jonathan said, for the descendants. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because it's like, man, that's a lot of pressure for a poor nine-year-old, ten-year-old boy to be thinking, we're the last of a line. Abraham's living that life. Abraham's like, man, I, I mean, I've done everything. I've tried. We have a loving marriage, but there's no fruit in our life. There's no children coming forth out of that. And now, in Genesis chapter 12, God's calling him to a new frontier, at 75 years old, God's saying, you're going to go someplace. 
In fact, look what the Bible says. He says in verse number one, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Where are we going to go? I'll tell you where. I'll tell you where. Almost like a holy GPS, God's going to direct him where to go. And Abraham is commissioned to go to a place that he knows not of. Why would God choose Abraham? This is interesting. Number one, Abraham was willing to take advantage of an opportunity. The Bible tells us that God chose Abraham because he was a person who would accept the task and he would execute the task well. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. For I know him, Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Abraham was a person who was willing to take an opportunity. He wasn't just sitting back as a 75-year-old person and say, these are the twilight years of my life. I'm done. No, he was ready to seize an opportunity. And I'm reminded that God has opportunities for us everywhere. And whether you're 15 years old or you're 75 years old, there are opportunities. Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest field. God desires for us to be men and women that take advantage of opportunities. Abraham is going to be called of God because he's willing to take advantage of the opportunities. Number two, he was a person who lived in obedience. The Bible says in first chronicles chapter 16 and verse number nine for the eyes of the lord run to and fro throughout all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what perfect obedience surrendered to him the bible tells us this that god looks around the entire world and he's up into scandinavia and he's down in the middle east and he's over here in india and he's in china and he's looking over here in the the pacific rim and as he looks over that he looks into africa and the bible tells us the eyes of the lord over in greenland and down in south america and on the east coast and in canada and maybe just maybe the eyes of the lord catch a little sparkly thing here and it's not a sphere Maybe, just maybe, the eyes of the Lord that are running to and fro see a heart in this room who's perfect towards him. It's as if God is saying, who could I show the world how strong I am? Who could I show through the world what a great God I am, that I love people, that I died on a cross so that their sins could be forgiven? They don't have to be damned to hell for all of eternity whose heart would be perfect towards me. The Bible tells us that the hot eyes of the Lord, this is not a past tense thing. This is a present. The God of the universe is looking today and maybe he would see your heart. Maybe your heart, if it's perfect towards him, could do something of great consequence for the glory of God. Is your heart perfect towards him? Abraham Why'd God choose Abraham? Well, he was willing to take the advantage of the opportunity. He was obedient to the Lord, and he was also open. This is great because he was faithful in doing the things that God had called him to do. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me amongst many witnesses, the same commit thou also to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. God desires for us to have an openness to receive what we've been given, but also to share it with others. 
In a world that is so busy and bills that are mounting and opportunities that are escalating a hundred different places, can I ask you this? Are you taking what God has given you and investing it in others, or is it dying with you and not leaving any descendants? The Bible tells us that Abraham was open, he was open, uh, obedient, and he was a person taking advantage of the opportunities, so he was able to decipher traffic signals. All right, you ready for this? Some of your eyes are going to bleed a little bit, but it's not too bad, okay? Check it out. I love this light, okay? (laughs) This is so cool. So traffic signals are important because if you don't understand what the traffic signals are meaning, then it's a real problem. If there are no traffic signals, then you can get lost. By the way, don't go over by Decatur and Washington over the next couple weeks. There's a lot of missing traffic signals. But if you don't know what the traffic signal means, then you're going to be messed up. You're going to get wrecked. My daughter, I told you this, is going right now through, um, she's, uh, she's got her permit. And so she had to go take her test to get that permit. You know, it's the book like this. And she had to go through and she would ask me questions like, Dad, what's the speed in a residential zone? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Don't get caught. No, no, that's not the, that's the speed in the residential zone. And so she's learning all these different rules and what these traffic signals and patterns mean. So I thought it'd be good for us to decipher what God's uh, traffic signals for us are. And I think this would be a great tool, okay? So, of course, green means what? Okay, good. Green means go. Good job. And then red means what? Okay, how about yellow? Wow! Like you guys hit the first one out of the park. Second one, touchdown. Third one, we live in Las Vegas, baby. Okay? Someone said it means go really, really fast. Okay, what does yellow mean? This is what I want you to think about yellow, okay? Yellow really means this. It's time to make a decision. That's what yellow means. Yellow means it's time to make a decision. It doesn't mean go really, really fast. It doesn't mean, look, what it means is it, it's time to make a decision. Now, I don't want you to spend a whole lot of time laboring this point, but when you see a yellow, you are automatically going into a place where you're making a whole bunch of questions. And with all of these questions, you might not even think through it. You might not have a process because you've been driving for several years. It almost comes second nature. But you're going to ask questions as soon as you see that yellow. As soon as you see that yellow, you're going to see that yellow and say, how far away am I from the intersection? You might ask a question, is there anybody in front of me? Because if you think you can make it, but they don't, that's a bad day. (laughs) Right? You might think, is there anybody behind me? You might be looking to see if there is a motorcycle cop anywhere around. (laughs) The time of day will factor into your decision won't it? If it's at night, uh, the busyness of your schedule will sometimes factor into that decision, will it not? The weather will factor into that decision, won't it? If it's rainy, you might be a little bit more slow. If it's a, if it's a dry, sunny day, you're, you might not take as much caution. The point is this, when you see a yellow light, it is time to make a decision. 
And every time you see a yellow light, you are making probably about 9, 8, 12, 15 different decisions based upon your experiences. If you ever were rear-ended, you're going to think about yellow lights a little bit differently. If you've ever seen a traffic accident, you're going to think about these yellow lights a little bit differently. Why? Because when you see yellow, it is time to make a decision. And some of them come naturally, and some of them might change from person to person, but when you see yellow, it is time to make a decision. Okay, so green means? Red means stop. Red means? And yellow means? Isn't this great? All week long, every time you drive, you'll be seeing yellow lights and think, it's time to make a decision. We just burned it into your brain, baby. This is discipleship at its finest. Okay, so let's look at a couple of things about the traffic signals. Green, are you guys glad that light's off? Yeah, was it kind of like, but it's, it's like seared in your brain now. Yeah, good. You'll have to get cataract surgery afterwards, but it'll be all right. Okay, green means go. Look at what the Bible says. God says to Abraham, go. Genesis 12, verse number one. He says, now the Lord said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country. Go! It's time for you to go. There are certain things in life that you always have a green light on. You never have to question, should I be a witness? Should I tell somebody about Jesus? What's the Lord's will concerning telling people about Jesus? He says, go. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When should I tell somebody about Jesus? Always. Is it a good time? Yes. Why? Because the green light is always illuminated for telling somebody about Jesus. Isn't that a great truth? Number two, that green light says it's time to grow. Guess what happens when he follows through on that green light? He says, I'm going to make thee a great nation. You're not just going to be the little Vatican city of the world empires. You're going to be a great nation. And I will bless thee and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I want you to go, I want you to grow, and I'm going to make you great. Check this out. Verse 3 says, and, and I will bless thee, bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Go! Because when you go, you're going to grow. And in that growing, you're going to become great. Why? Because I have told you it's time to go. But he also puts some red lights in this. Notice the red lights that he puts in. He says, now the Lord said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country. You're not supposed to stay here anymore. This is not the place you're supposed to stay. Red light, you're not supposed to be here anymore. He says, number two, I want you to get away from your kindred. You're not supposed to be with these people anymore. Your, your, your brothers, not supposed to be there anymore. Your family, not supposed to be there anymore. This culture, this country, this kindred, it's time to sever ties. Red light, go. Red light, don't be with these people anymore. And then he says this, and from thy father's house. I think that father's house refers to the comforts. He was 10th in line from Noah. So obviously he would have been a person of means. He would have been a person of wealth. He would have had opportunities as the the a caretaker of the Semitic line all the way through to Noah, uh, to Abraham, he would have had great opportunities. He, he's not supposed to stay in his father's house anymore. Even though his dad has free Wi-Fi, it's time for him to get out. He needs to go. 
and you can't be here, you can't be in the country, you can't have the kindred, and you're going to lose the comforts that are all problem here. So now it's yellow time. When you get to the end of verse number three, yellow means it's time to make a decision. Check out what Abraham does. In verse number five, excuse me, verse number four, the Bible says, so Abram departed. Isn't that wonderful? He took the green light and he went. So Abram departed, and the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. It was time to make a decision, and he says, what am I going to do? I'm going to go. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Now, God's not going to come to any of you in Ur of the Chaldees, primarily because none of you live in Ur of the Chaldees. But God does have a plan for your life, and God does have a will that he wants you to follow. And so this is our final point today. It's learning to trust and survey God's life, God's will for your life. How do I learn to live in God's will? On the back of your program this morning, there are nine words. Those nine words are words that I want you to adopt. Just like when you see a yellow light, when you see that yellow light, there's a hundred questions that go through your mind, okay? There's nine questions that I want to challenge you with when you are making a decision for life. A decision about, should I date this girl? Should I go online and visit this guy? Should I buy this house? Should I take this job opportunity? Should I go to this church? Should I serve in this place? When I'm making decisions for my life, God's will is dependent upon me understanding the traffic signals. So the traffic signals come to a place where, okay, God's telling me to go. These are things I'm not supposed to be. How about my life? When I see how do I make decisions, what are the things that God wants me to ask questions about? Learning to live in God's will. How do I do that? Number one, I have to be saved to be in God's will. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards usward, not willing that how many? Any should perish. How many people does the Lord want to come to repentance, but that how many? All should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. Let me say it again. God wants you to be saved. He wants all people to be saved. God didn't go through in the eons of time and say, you're going to be saved. You're going to be saved. I created you to go to hell. You can be saved. You can be saved. I want you to. That's not how God's work. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. That is not our God. The Bible tells us that our God so loved the what? world. God so loved the world. He didn't love just a couple and a few people over here and people that had nice ties and knew the right songs to sing. No, God loves the whole world. And so if you want to be in the will of God, you better get saved. You better come to a place of salvation where you stop trusting your good works or trusting your own ideas and trusting your abilities because all of those things will damn you to hell. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. God desires for you to be saved. He desires for you to be saved so much that he came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He allowed his body to be tortured and beaten and hung on a cross, and there Jesus died to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. Are your sins so great that he can't pay for your sins? I dare say that there is no sin that Jesus' death cannot pay for. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin. Have you received the forgiveness of Jesus? Has there been a time in your life when you said, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to pay for my sins, and in the best way I know how, I want to ask him to save me. Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe, the Bible says in Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I want to follow the will of God for my life. Fantastic. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? The question then is this. Question number one. Based upon for, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, the question is this. Am I saved? Are you saved? If you have doubts about your salvation, receive Christ today. If you can't look back and say, I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven because I received Christ, and you can put a time, a date, an event with that, then be saved today. There is nothing inhibiting you from being in the will of God. God has a plan. He has a purpose for your life, and he wants you to know his plan, his purposes through the person of Jesus Christ. Number one, am I saved? We're going to move through these next ones quickly. Number two, am I surrendered? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number one, the Bible says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans chapter 12 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is the perfect will of God that you do what? Whatever you say, God. Now, this is a great question. Romans 12, 1, okay? Am I surrendering control to God? Or am I manipulating things for my own circumstances? You know, it's one thing to be able to say, God, Jesus, take the wheel. But I'm still in control of the pedals. There's a place where we just say, God, whatever you say. I got this bad news. God, I'm going to do it. God, I got this good opportunity. Whatever you say, I'm going to do. God, I surrendered to you. Have you surrendered your life, your circumstances, to Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to maneuver and scheme like some colossal monopoly game for your own advantage? Until you're surrendered, you will not know the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. Number 3, are you living in service? Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, many times when he opens up one of the books that God inspired him to write, will use a phrase similar to this one as 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the what? The will of God. Oh, what is the will of God that you serve? Where do you serve? 
What, what do you do in service to God and others on a week-by-week basis? Don't you get tired of consumer Christianity? If you were to Google this church today, you would find Google reviews of Liberty Baptist Church. Isn't that crazy? Like it's a pizza joint or some dive bar. That, that's a crazy thing that we as, we as Christians, we view our Christianity in terms of Yelp reviews. It's silly. We have become so accustomed to, well, this did this for me and this really, this just didn't hit me here. One of the things about understanding the will of God is that Christianity and the work of Jesus Christ many times is not about you and it's not about me. It's about service to others. It's not about what do I get and how am I getting this and did I collect this many tokens and coins and chips so that I look how I've won at life. Winning at life is many times found in service to others. And Paul was living the will of God. Why? Because he was serving other people. Who do you serve? Where do you give? Uh, uh, Philip Alsop said this week from this platform, it's a wonderful thing to teach children to work without getting paid for it. That's a really good thing. Just go to a senior citizen's house and rake the leaves or help wash a car or babysit your brothers and sisters. Listen, if you get babysit paid for babysitting your brothers and sisters, my parents owe me thousands of dollars. <laughs> but there's service, service that should happen. We should serve. You should serve. I want to know the will of God. Okay, who are you serving? Oftentimes, service takes our eyes off of our own needs and puts it on the attention of others. Number four, am, number three, am I serving? Number four, am I sharing? And this they did, the Bible says, not as we hoped, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, but first gave their own selves to the Lord unto us by what? The will of God. What's the will of God? That you are a sharing person, not a selfish person. Are you a, Lord, Lord, is it the will of God to buy a Mercedes Benz? Could be. Are you a sharing person or are you a selfish person? Is it the will of God for me to buy this or to purchase this or to go here or to uh, participate in this? Questions should be asked. Am I a sharing person or a selfish person? Isn't that a good question? Because if you're a selfish person, you're not living in the will of God. If you're a sharing person, it's an indication that you're following God's will for your life. Number five, am I sincere? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six and verse number six, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing, check out the phrase, doing the will of God from the heart. Only you know the sincerity of your heart. Today, I saw all these musicians up here and man, I'm like, oh, they just do, I love listening to the music here at Liberty. And they're, they, but as they're singing, man, I'm looking like, they're sincere. I don't know a person's heart, though. They could have just fought with each other. They could be having an argument. They could be laundering money. They could be robbing a bank right now, for all I know, okay? I don't know where, if they're sincere or not. And many of us have become accustomed to putting on a show for others. And God says, don't be a person who's putting on a show not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the what? From the heart. Here's the question to ask. Why am I doing this? Really? Why am I doing this? 
Okay, really? Because I like it. Okay, be sincere. Be sincere. God desires authenticity. God wants you to be a real Christian, not a fake plastic banana phony baloney Christian. He wants you to be real. He wants you to be authentic. Number, four, uh, number six, sanctification. This is good. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. A person who's living in sexual sin, a, a guy and girl who are living with each other outside of the bonds of marriage, you're, you are not in the will of God. Well, we're going to get married. You're, you're not in the will of God. Well, we're, we're planning to. The tax benefit's just right now, and the, the caterer is not working out. No, you're not in the will of God. But we want to be then stop fornicating. But, but we love each other. Stop fornicating. You can't be living in known sin and be in the will of God. Can you be saved? Sure, you can be saved because saved people do a whole lot of dumb things. If you're a saved person who's done a dumb thing, say yes. Okay, so saved people do dumb things, right? Okay, so saved people even sin. If you sinned this week, say yes. Yes! I just wanted to be part of it. <laughs> Not with eye services, men pleasers. <laughs> you know, I want to make sure I'm right there. Because we all mess up. We all sin. The problem is this. You can't be in the will of God if you're continually doing what God doesn't want you to do and say, well, I just want the blessing of God upon my life. No, you can't. The Bible says this is the will of God, even your sanctification. You deal with sin in your life. I deal with sin in my life. Here's the question. Am I right with God or am I making excuses? Question number six, am I right with God or am I making excuses? Well, I'll just tell you this. If my parents would have paid me for babysitting my children, my brothers and sisters, babysitting my children is called parenting. <laughs> <laughs> if they would have done this, I would have been able to know, am I right with God or am I making excuses? Number seven, am I satisfied? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the what? Here's the phrase again, will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I want to be in the will of God, then be thankful. What do you have? Oh, this junky, junkity, junk, junk. I hate this stuff. I hate this. Look at the weather. Look at my car. Look at my house. Look at, look at America. The Bible says be thankful. It's the will of God for you to be thankful. And in everything, give thanks. Wow. If I'm giving thanks in everything, I'm in the will of God. Hmm. Am I right with God making excuses? Number seven, am I thankful? Number eight. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye, there's our phrase again, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. 1 Peter 3, 17. This is a great verse. Because sometimes you'll do the will of God and it hurts. Let me say it one more time. Sometimes you'll do the will of God and it hurts. Sometimes you have to sever a relationship. You might give up an opportunity. You might not be invited to all the cool kids' parties because you're just doing what is right. And so doing what's right will sometimes cause suffering. Being in the will of God is not always rainbows, ponies, and flowers. Being in the will of God, sometimes it does hurt. And the Bible says it's the will of God from time to time. In fact, it's better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. The Bible says, here's the question number eight, am I willing to suffer for this decision? I want to be in the will of God. Are you willing to suffer for this decision? Well, I'm not going to do anything that's going to hurt. Well, then you'll, you're not going to be in the will of God. 
because sometimes being in the will of God, it hurts. I, how do you know? Because Jesus took nails in his palms. Was he out of the will of God? Nope. <laughs> but it hurt. He took a crown of thorns upon his head. Was he out of the will of God? No, it hurt. Sometimes the will of God hurts. Number nine, silence. This is such a good one. For so is the will of God that with well-doing, you living in the will of God may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is so beautiful. The will of God being done in your life will shut up the naysayers. It, well, they're a Christian. You know, this religious right, these conservative Christians, these people who go to church, these Bible thumpers. Well, my neighbor's a Christian, and this is what they're like. My coworker's a Christian. The person I go to school with, the girl on my basketball team, the guy I play uh, soccer with, they're a Christian, and they're not like that. For this is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Question number nine, will this decision speak for Christ and silence fools? Will this advance, I'm going to do this thing. Will this make Christ look better or will it silence fools? That's a really good question. Because if it's bringing a reproach to Christ, don't do it. A few months ago, in fact, last month, at a prayer breakfast for one of the presidential candidates, a girl got up who's a congresswoman and was laughing about the fact she was late because her fiancé that she slept with the night before didn't want her to leave. At a prayer breakfast. And all of Christian right looked at her and blasted her. Rightfully so. Why? You know why? Because that statement, those actions, those behaviors, they did not silence foolish men. In fact, it brought reproach upon the name of Christ. Because the month before that, all of Christianity was up in arms about rainbows and target purchases. And when we don't live in the will of God, we make ourselves look foolish. And greater than making ourselves look foolish, we bring reproach to the name of Christ. God desires for us to live in the will of Christ. So that why? We can advance his kingdom and silence the foolishness of man. Signs and signals. God desires for us to go. There are certain things that God desires for us to stop. And if we don't know, when we see that yellow light, we understand it's time to make a decision. What decisions is God calling upon you to make? Don't make them just based upon the circumstances. Go to the will of, word of God so you can know the will of God and accomplish the work of God. Thank you, Lord, for the time together today. I pray that it be a help to these, my friends. May we accomplish your will doing your work. And Father, may we follow your word to do those things. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.